a tracing of steps. So he is, he's asked the, it seems like he's saying he's, he passed the minion, he kept going. No, no. So we're talking going back to the previous case where the person's traveling on the on the road. Right. So we're telling him that um, you're traveling on the road, and now comes the time for mincha. Right. So if you know that there's a minion for mincha, okay. a mill well, behind you, exactly. So we're going to make okay. you go out of your way. Not yeah. that you saw it. No, no. Okay. So now what we're going to do is I want to open up um, your source sheets over here. This this booklet to. Uh, page uh, I'll find it here, sorry. Ah. Page fifty seven. Okay, now this is gonna be all about um, This is going to be all about the Chavetz Chaim. Everyone knows the Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim is famously the author of the Mishnah Bura. He wrote a, a, a sefer called the Shemir Salashan. He was very into Lashon Hara. He wrote a book called the Shemir Salashan all about um, the power and the negative effects of Lashon Hara. At the end of it, he wrote um, different things. One of them he is, is about Minyan, Davening with a Minyan. And he enumerated 10 different special things, special reasons why a person is Davening with a Minyan. So let's go through them. And we're not going to read the entire thing inside. We'll read the underlined portions. With me? Okay, so look at Aleph. You see Aleph there? Aleph. Just going to the Beis HaMesh. Like, Holech means to go. Just going for a mitzvah already is something, uh, it's, a, it's an important thing, and there's, and there's reward for that. Number two. Often, you come to shul, there's some sort of drasha, some sort of dvar Torah said, so you're also learning. So like Rabbi Nu, between Mincha and right, he says over some stuff. So not only do you have the merit of coming to shul and davening, you also have the, the advantage of learning something while you're in shul. Okay, do a little, uh, skip the next paragraph, I don't know why it doesn't have a gimel there, it doesn't have a number three. It says, the underlined words, Harbe anashim imakiro vereyov, many of his friends, Yilamdu Mimenu will learn from him. And you will be thanked for bringing them in. So let's say people know you as somebody who goes to Minyan. So they're going to say, wow, if uh, Johnny goes to Minyan, I should go to Minyan too. So you create uh, that this is the norm. We go to Minyan. And so you also help bring others to Shul as well. Okay, number four. When you do something in public, it says, Hala Yudua. It's known. You can compare a small amount of people doing a mitzvah to many people doing a mitzvah. When things are done in greater numbers, there's always a greater effect. Like, and, and he gives an example of like a war. So imagine in a war, you have a small army. So how many can they, how much can they attack? How much is their, their, their power? It's, it's whatever it is. But it's, if you increase their numbers, it's not like it's just, imagine you have a group of soldiers. Like, let's say 10 soldiers can protect against 20 uh, enemies. But if you have 50 soldiers, you can protect against much more. Because your power, it's not just about uh, one against one. The more people you have, the greater the, the, your, your, your power gets 
much greater when you do it in numbers. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's number four. Number five. We know that one of the things that we say every day in the, in, the, in the morning blessings, so right when we wake up, we say the morning blessings, we say that there are certain things that um, we do in this world and they stand in our good stead in the world to come as well. One of them is One of them is um, showing up in shul for shachrit and arvit. So davening in a shul uh, merits one um, uh, uh, a special part of the world to come. Number six, davar zeh it brings one long life, davening in shul, with a minion. Number seven, it's, uh, it's everyone who, whenever you daven, you want that it, it, should, be, it should be a special time, that, that Hashem should be paying attention and, and accepting your, your, your prayers. And we, Chazal say, our sages say, that what's considered an esrotzen, what's considered a, a desirable time to pray, it says, b'sha'ashat sibur misbalalin at the time that the congregation is davening, it's a special time. Like when we mentioned this last week. Remember we say that between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is called Aser Tshuva, the 10 days of repentance. So the Gemara says about that, that the 10 days of repentance are very powerful for an individual. But for a person who is part of the congregation, it's like the 10 days of repentance all year round. The power of the 10 days of repentance are there <laughs> for a person to take advantage of just by davening with a minion all year round. It's another major thing. Um, number eight. Chazal say, Hashem never turns away from a, a, the, the prayer of the many. When many people daven together, so there's, there's so much good in this, in this group that Hashem, Hashem never ignores it. Because when you have one person, you could say, this person has, is, is not meritorious. But when you're part of a bigger group, then, then, then there's so much good here, it's, uh, there's nothing to, to be ignored. And I'll just actually connect this to this week's parsha. I saw a beautiful um, teaching. It says in this week's parsha, we're talking about the story of Balak and Bilam. Everyone familiar with the story of Balak and Bilam? So we have Bilam, who's this non-Jewish um, uh, sorcerer. Yeah. And he's hired by King Balak, who was one of the kings of the land of Canaan, to curse the Jewish people because Bilam had this ability to curse he comes and uh, instead of cursing the Jewish people his curses turn to blessings miraculously so Balak says hello I hired you to curse the Jewish people I didn't hire you to bless the Jewish people so Bilam says okay give me another chance so Balak tells him okay I'm going to take you somewhere else to a different spot where you'll see the Jewish people but he says something very strange he says the place that I'm going to take you to Katseyu Tira some of them you'll be able to see, but you won't be able to see everybody. You'll be able to see some of them, not all of them. Why is that important? Like, why is he specifically bringing him to such a spot? So one of the Hasidic Rebbe's, question clear? Is the question clear? So one of the Hasidic Rebbe's says a beautiful thing. He says that when you look at a Jew in the specifics, yeah, you'll find problems. Yeah. So he messes, he's not so careful about this. He's not always, you know, doing this. But as a whole, if you look at him as a whole, it's beautiful. Because, yeah, everyone has their faults. But, but who are you as your whole? Jew is, Jew is beautiful. He's a Jewish soul, and, 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 and that's where he wants to be. So you make mistakes, you know, the, 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 the small stuff you make mistakes on. But the bigger picture, every Jew is beautiful. And that's what Balak wanted to show. Balak wanted to say, if you want to curse the Jewish people, it's only going to happen if you point out the, the small, the katseyu, the, 
not the full picture. You, you zero in on, on, the, on the small stuff. That's where you can find problems with the Jewish people. But as a whole, you'll, you'll never be able to. Beautiful, beautiful teaching. Um, you don't agree? <laughs> what do you mean? So, I would say that he, he definitely got himself, he, he definitely made some very bad decisions in his life. Um, and he became a rotten person. Now, at the same time, we understand that the, what makes a Jew a Jew never goes away. You can decide to cover it up and uh, to... I don't put judgment on him, I'm not doing that, yeah. but I'm just referring to what Madoff. I mean, I'm not passing judgment on that. I'm just saying that in context of what you said, you look at Epstein. So, so I, could, I, I think that you're right, and I think we could take this in two ways. Either you could say that what the Rebbe was talking about is, is that the Jewish people as a whole, you can find a few rotten apples. Yeah. But the Jewish people as a whole are, yes. are, are, are a wonderful nation. Yes. But I think even within a person, um, look, you're right. So there's certain people who you just wonder and you say, such rotten behavior, like, where is... I can't think of too many. Yeah, and I think actually, like, Madoff, like, I think they, they didn't, couldn't even get him to apologize to his... To his... Yeah, yeah. To, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ellie Wiesel. Crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. No, so just to finish that point is that I think that as much as a person makes bad decisions and kind of basically ends up living a life completely contrary to their true self, that inner core, you know, remains. Now, you might venture very far from that, but, uh, but no, I think a valid point. The Pintalit, exactly. Okay, number nine. Um, when you daven with a minion, you're able to say baruchu with a minion. You're able to say kaddish, you're able to say kedusha, amen yeheshmi all these wonderful things only happen when you daven with a minion. And number 10, you obviously can only read from the Torah when you have a minion. So we have 10 major things, major advantages for yourself, the fact that you bring others, the fact that you learn Torah, the fact that there's parts of Davin you can only do with a minion. So there's lots of wonderful reasons to join in with a minion. Okay, now lastly, obviously the idea of chinuch is very important as well, that what a, a creates a certain aura in the house that you're running to minion, you're running back, it creates the, the, the atmosphere in the house is that that shul is where we belong. We're going. We're coming. It's my day is revolving around going to shul, coming from shul, and it's it's uh, and it's fantastic. I think even on a very on a very social level, that shul is is fantastic. Once a week, you see people. You 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 socialize. You 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 connect with your community. And nebuch, you you see people who don't have that. People who are not Jewish or don't have any communal. They're living very lonely lives. Unless and, and as Jews, we have that ability to connect to that part of our Judaism, which is, which is very special, the community aspect of it. Okay, let's keep going. So now here's the question. What is considered davening with a minion? When are you davening with a minion and when are you not davening? Is it just like you're in the room? Is it that in the last five minutes you happen to walk into shul and start davening, so, so, that's con so, you, so you're davening with a minion now because you walked in while there were 10 people in the room. What's considered davening with a minion? It's, 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 oh, 
Fantastic. Now, within that, though, what part of Shemini Esther? Meaning to say, do I need to start with a minion? Do I need to just start at some point when the minion is saying Shemini Esther? What about the Chazan? Let's say the Chazan starts Shemini Esther and I start Shemini Esther at the same time. Does that work? Is that considered the with a minion? So here we have a, multiple opinions. The most straightforward opinion is that of the Mishnah Barura, who says that Davening with a minion means you start with a minion. Exactly. You start Shemana Esrei, Shemana Esrei. Yeah, because for sure it's about Shemana Esrei. So the Mishnah Barura says it's about starting Shemana Esrei with a minion. That's considered Davening with a minion. Others say, and this is Ramosha Feinstein said, he said, listen, we all start Shemana Esrei together. Some people diving a little faster, diving a little slower. So if you're going to say that it's all about together, everyone davening together, doesn't make any sense because we're all davening slightly apart from each other. We're not davening word for word together. So rather, Moshe Feinstein said that as long as you start while 10 people are davening, that's considered davening feminine because you're, you're together with them. You're davening Shemana Esri together. You're not saying the same words as them. Who cares? It's fine. Some people take the idea even further, and they say that the chazan davening on behalf of the community, even that, as long if you if you daven along with the chazan who's doing the chazar sashats, even that's considered davening with a minion as well. So we have various opinions, and um, definitely what a person should not do is let's say the minion finished davening, and the chazan is a bad start, so you start before the chazan starts. You definitely shouldn't do that. Why not? Because if you do that, you're not going to have the opportunity to say. Kedusha. Because you're going to be in the middle of your own Shemana Esrei when the Chazan gets Kedusha. If you start with the Chazan, you can say Kedusha together with the Chazan, or you can just listen quietly at least because you're at the same point. But if you start the Shemana Esrei before the Chazan, but after the Minion, you lose everything. You didn't die with the Minion. And then you miss the Kedusha because you're not at that, set, at that point when the Chazan gets there. So definitely not advisable. Starting with, if you're, if you're coming after the Minion already davened and you start with the Chazan, that, that can work as well. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the idea. Okay, so these are some of the the opinions in this in this regard. Um, okay, now here's the question: What about if I walk into shul? Some people have davened, some people haven't davened. There's ten people in the room, but only some of us are actually going to be davening. So, can I run a minion? Or not? That's the question. Ten people in the room, but not everyone is davening. Do I need ten people davening? Or do I need ten people in the room? The spirit is yes. So Jeff says ten. I need ten people davening. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to say, I don't know, Excellent. So the answer is that you're really both right. Jeff, you're right that the Mishnah Berurah and many prominent Paiskim do say that you need 10 people davening to be considered davening with a minion. Now, the Alter Rebbe doesn't hold that way. The Alter Rebbe holds that six people, as long as the majority of the minion, meaning the majority of 10 are davening, as long as you have four others there as well, it's considered davening with a minion. So in this regard, the Alter Rebbe is actually very lenient. All you need is six. But 
you're, you're correct, though, as well, because even according to the Mishnah Berurah, to do laning from the Torah, or to do barchu, kaddish, all these things, six is enough. Meaning six people who are participating, six people who haven't heard the Torah, six people who haven't heard barchu yet, is enough. So to daven with a tzibur, with a congregation, to make a davening with a minion, ani ten, according to the Mishnah Berurah. But to do kaddish, to do laning, Six is enough, as long as you have four who are there as well. So, kind of both right. Chabad will go with the six is enough for a minion as well, for diving with a minion as well. But, um, um, but really, both of those points, both of those points are valid. Um, so you need ten people in the room. Nine who can respond exactly, but. You don't, even if those other people have already davened, they can respond. Yeah, but yeah. they have, they're dashing out. They, 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 that counts they're as well. So it, whether it works that they can't respond. Yeah. Not sure, not sure. Okay, now here comes another question. Um, let's say I have, um, let's say in this building, right? So where is the learning done in this building? This room, right? Where is the davening done? In the in the main sanctuary. So there's a fact, and the Gemara talks about this a lot, there were, there were Tanoim, there were um, uh, Talmudic sages, who specifically daven in the places that they learned. Because the halacha is that a base medrash, a place where Torah learning is done, has more holiness than a shul. So therefore, if a person has the opportunity to daven in a base medrash, that's preferable. So that's actually a fact. If you have the op- option of davening in a place where davening is done, where learning is done, over a place where there is davening done, then you should daven where the learning is done. And that's even if the community um, with the, where the shul is has more people. So generally we say, being part of a bigger community is great, and you should go with that. But in this case, davening in a place where learning is done trumps even a, a, a larger congregation. Now, in a place like this, where the shul is the shul, because we have, thank God, a big crowd, and, and that's... So obviously nobody's going to say that you should stuff in here, but if a person comes to town and he can choose where to daven, either a place where Torah learning is done, or a place where just davening is done, it is preferable to go where the, davening, where the learning is done, because that has more holiness in that place. Now, some people posit that these days, and apparently it was like this, back in, in the old country, there was the shul, and there was the base medrash. And learning was never done in the shul. Whereas today, speeches, tvar Torahs, whatever, happen in the shul as well. So there's plenty of Torah learning going on in the shul as well. So some people posit that these days, even the shuls are considered a base medrash as well because so much learning is there is happening. So it's a, it's a, it's a point, it's a valid point. And, um, but uh, that's the point. The point is, is that davening in a base medrash is actually preferable over davening just initial. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, having a makam kavua. Anyone heard of that term, a makam kavua? Exactly. So makam kavua is a set seat. This is the source of much anguish and uh, quabbles, squabbles in, in shuls about about uh, the, this is my seat, this is your seat, and people are kicking people out of their seats. Bad news. I got thrown out of a seat 
in Hong Kong by a guy who comes in once a month of business. Just, that's my point. <laughs> I remember when I was going to sit somewhere in the captain's room in Scarsdale, he said, a concert there. So I said, can we? And no one came to the That's very funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a contentious point. So the question is, how important is Makum Kavua? And do we need to go to war over our Makum Kavuas? So let's see. Let's um, look inside number 18. Um, David? So you have a specific shul and then also a specific place within that shul. Right, so the benches get moved a little bit when they clean the shul. So you're going to tell me, oh, it's not Makam Kavua, because it's, no, more than four cubits is considered a Makam Kavua. I'm just, I'm just, you know, forewarning what, you know, these Jews who are very careful about their, their places are going to say. It's okay. The bench moves a little bit. It's all right. Okay, continue going. Fantastic. So what do we see? There are two reasons to have a Makam Kavua. Number one. You know where your tassels are. Helps. What's that? You always know where your are. So number one is to emulate Avram Avinu. Right? Avram Avinu, as, he, as we started in the beginning, he had a set place where he davened. It says he rose in the morning, he went to the place where he stood. This is the source that he davened chakras, and there was a specific place that he stood. So we see that you're emulating Avraham Avinu by having a Malkin Kavua. Also, um, you have a greater time concentrating because you sit in the same place every time. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more set, and uh, it's going to help you concentrate. So these are two, uh, two things of having a Malkin Kavua. Now, um, the Paiskim are quick to point out that uh, Malkin Kavua should not um, trump another important mitzvah in the Torah, which is to be inviting and be welcoming to a ger, to a, uh, a somebody who is uh, new or uh, uh, somebody who's visiting or somebody who's new to the shul, right? So the number one way to chase somebody out of your shul is to kick him out of your place when he's in your place. So if you want to be welcoming and kind, don't kick him out of your seat, use it somewhere else. Also, just on a lachic uh, perspective, um, it says anywhere within a radius of four cubits is considered as your place. So let's say this seat is u- usually yours. So if the next one's open, let that guy sit there, you sit in the next one, and you're still considered to be in your makum kavua because it's within four cubits. Okay. Um, now, they say an interesting point here, which is that the Hasidim uh, used, to, used to say that you know why you have to have a makum kavua? so that you ha- can have something to give of it. Meaning, you know why you have to have a Makam Kavua? So that when somebody comes to visit Shul, you can give him your spot. 
if you don't have a set place, you have nothing to give him. So arrange for yourself a makum kavua so that when somebody comes to shul and needs a spot, you can offer it to him. It's yours to give. And uh, they bring a, a beautiful story here of a rav. Let me see who the rav was. Give me a second. Yaakov Neuberger. Excuse me. Yaakov Neuberger heard this from Yeruchim Leibovitz, who was apparently one of the famous rabbis in America. And he was asked, what do you think about communism? Communism. Communism as a movement. What's your opinion on communism? He says, communism, terrible, terrible idea. It's very against Torah values. Because by definition, communism is about, you don't own anything. It's all the state and it's all together. And in Torah values, you have to, the whole point is to have in order to give. And uh, communism says you don't have. So not having means you can't give. And that's, uh, that's against Torah's values. Torah's values is all about having in order to give. Okay. So that is about the Mokam Kavua, a set place in Shul. Okay, um, another thing is about where to sit in Shul is, that it is as follows. So let's take a look in our books here. Um, on page, uh, page, Um, 61. Um, you see number 40? Yep, right there. So, Omar Rav Chista. The Gemara says like this. Omar Rav Chista. Rabbi Chista said, Lo'olam, always. Yikonis Adam, a person should enter. Shnei Psachim. He should enter two doorways full. Okay, we're going to see what that means. But Beis into a shul. A person should enter into the shul two doorways full. What does that mean? So the Gemara says, Shnei He should go through two doorways? What do you mean? Rather, Gemara says, this is what he meant to say. Shir Shnei The measurement, the amount of space of two openings, you should enter, and then you should dive. Now, what in the world is going on? It seems like he's telling us you should enter into shul a certain amount, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of space, and then you should start davening. What's he saying? So Rashi right away says that you shouldn't stand, you shouldn't sit right by the door. You should enter uh, uh, the, the amount of distance. Imagine a doorway is, I don't know, certain, let's say, six feet you know, going this way, I don't know. So times that by two, that's how much you should enter into shul before you start davening. So let's say 12 feet. Walk into shul, walk 12 feet in, and then set yourself, set yourself down. Why? So Rashi says, if a person walks into shul, sits down right away, starts davening, it looks like he's just coming to like, you know, just get it done with. He walks into shul, gets it done, and walks out. So come into shul, sit down somewhere inside the shul, so it doesn't, doesn't have the appearance of like, you just want to get this done with. Others understand the Gemara. It's a very ambiguous, it's hard to understand what the Gemara means. Others understand that when you get to your place in shul, you should wait, you know, kind of calm yourself down, sit for just a brief period, so like you're, okay, you're settled, and then start, start davening. Don't run to shul uh, and start davening right away. Again, for the same reason, it just, it doesn't help with concentration, it doesn't help you, you should be settled when, you, when you're getting ready to, to, to daven. Um, and others say that a person should not stand near the door of the shul, why not? Because it's hard to concentrate. You buy the store of the shul and you're seeing they're setting up the kiddish and you're like oh what's for kiddish um and uh, you're seeing who's coming in and it's coming out then oh 
So it's very distracting. It doesn't help with concentration. So therefore, sit further away from the door, and that way you're not going to get disturbed. Let's read this inside in the Alter Rebbe, and this is number 19. So Urban Europe, 19. One should always enter the synagogue as far as the width of two entrances, and then pray, as implied by the phrase, to watch the doorposts of my entrances. There are some who interpret the width of two entrances as being that one should proceed inward a space of eight hand breaths and not sit directly near the entrance, because this makes it appear that he regards the time spent carrying in the synagogue as a burden, and he seeks to close the close to the door ready to depart now. nowadays. According to this interpretation, when everyone knows his place in the synagogue, it is of no consequence if one has a fixed place near the entrance, for it is known that he is sitting there only because that is his seat. Others explain that this reason for the above directed is that a person sitting by the entrance will look outside and will not be able to concentrate. According to this explanation, if the entrance is not open to the public domain, there is no difficulty. Yet others interpret the directive to mean that one should not hurry and begin to pray immediately after he enters. Instead, he should pause for as long as it takes to walk the width of two entrances, that is eight hand breaths. It is appropriate to take all the above interpretations into consideration. Some authorities maintain that one who prays should enter through, the, through two doorways, as implied by the plural form of the phrase, who deals your things attends my door. Sure. This is why it's in the Okay, so we, we try to keep all of these in mind when we dive in. So not be by the door, not be too close to the door, um, and also to kind of stop a second before you start diving, even when you come into shore. Um, I remember as a kid, um, if I would be diving at home and I'd be standing by the window, my mother would often tell me, like, don't stand by the window while you dive, because chances are you're going to be staring into... Uh, space thinking about your next whatever <laughs> does it mean two inside doors so for example in, in Seattle the there's a gate and there's a courtyard mm. and then they're right into the, in the next door into the building does that count as two? seems so now again in another part of the building you do it you would have to go but there's the weekday minion kind of like this where you walk straight in yeah, it would seem like that. Okay. So I guess our gate here counts. This gate that's going over there. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Well, I mean, if you were coming in this door here. If you're yeah. If you the main entrance, obviously there's a door there. Well, the shul, I mean, over here, there is two doors, isn't there? Don't you go through one and then into another? No. Oh, through oh, yeah, the main yeah, shul, yeah. Right, there's a foyer in the main one, yeah. No, say if you're coming into here. Oh, here, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if the outside gate you're saying if it's considered, I don't know, it's actually a building or it's the property. I don't know. Okay, um, that's it for tonight. Thank you for joining.